This is day 193 of our daily Bible reading. We'll begin the Gospel of Mark, and we'll read the first five chapters. Lord God, as we enter into your presence this morning, please quiet our souls. Please help us to focus on you and to eliminate all distractions and other thoughts that are outside of this today. Lord God, we understand that we need to dive deep into your word. There's so much wisdom to be gained from here and understanding of who you are, most importantly. With that, Lord, we should have a proper posture of service to you. It should change the way that we look at things and change the way that we prioritize our lives. Lord God, as we enter into your presence, help challenge us. Convict us, Lord, of the sin in our lives of the things that distract us, that we may give you a pure, undefiled heart today. Please bless the reading of this word, in Jesus' name. Amen. The beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. As it is written in Isaiah the prophet, Behold, I send my messenger ahead of you, who will prepare your way. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his path straight. John the Baptist appeared in the wilderness, preaching a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. And all the country of Judea was going out to him, and all the people of Jerusalem. They were being baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. John was clothed with camel's hair and wore a leather belt around his waist and his diet was locusts and wild honey. And he was preaching and saying, After me one is coming who is mightier than I, and I am not fit to stoop down and untie the thong of his sandals. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with his Holy Spirit. In those days Jesus came from Nazareth in Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. Immediately coming up out of the water, he saw the heavens opening, and the Spirit, like a dove, descending upon him. And a voice came out of the heavens, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Immediately the Spirit impelled him to go out into the wilderness, and he was in the wilderness forty days, being tempted by Satan. And he was with the wild beasts, and the angels were ministering to him. Now after John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee, preaching the gospel of God, and saying, The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. As he was going along by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, the brother of Simon, casting a net in the sea, for they were fishermen. And Jesus said to them, Follow me, and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately they left their nets and followed him. Going on a little further, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who were also in the boat mending the nets. Immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired servants and went away to follow him. They went into Capernaum. And immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and began to teach. They were amazed at his teaching, 
for he was teaching them as one having authority, and not as the scribes. Just then there was a man in their synagogue with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, saying, What business do we have with each other, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. And Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be quiet and come out of him. Throwing him into convulsions, the unclean spirit cried out with a loud voice and came out of him. They were all amazed, so that they debated amongst themselves, saying, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. Immediately the news about him spread everywhere into all the surrounding district of Galilee. And immediately after they came out of the synagogue, they came into the house of Simon and Andrew, with James and John. Now Simon's mother-in-law was lying sick with a fever, and immediately they spoke to Jesus about her. And he came to her and raised her up, taking her by the hand, and the fever left her, and she waited on them. When evening came, after the sun had set, they began bringing to him all who were ill and those who were demon-possessed, and the whole city had gathered at the door. And he healed many who were ill with various diseases, and cast out many demons, and he was not permitting the demons to speak, because they knew who he was. In the early morning, while it was still dark, Jesus got up, left the house, and went away to a secluded place, and was praying there. Simon and his companions searched for him. They found him and said to him, Everyone is looking for you. He said to them, Let us go somewhere else to the towns nearby, so that I may preach there also, for this is what I came for. And he went into their synagogues throughout all Galilee, preaching and casting out the demons. And a leper came to Jesus, beseeching him and falling on his knees before him and saying, If you are willing, you can make me clean. Moved with compassion, Jesus stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I am willing. Be cleansed. Immediately the leprosy left him, and he was cleansed. And he sternly warned him and immediately sent him away and said to him, See that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded as a testimony to them. But he went out and began to proclaim it freely and to spread the news around to such an extent that Jesus could no longer publicly enter a city, but stayed out in unpopulated areas, and they were coming to him from everywhere. When he had come back to Capernaum several days afterward, it was heard that he was at home. And many were gathered together, so that there was no longer room not even near the door, and he was speaking the word to them. And they came, bringing to him a paralytic, carried by four men. Being unable to get to him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him, and when they had dug an opening, they let down the pallet on which the paralytic was lying. And Jesus, seeing their faith, 
said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. But some of the scribes were sitting there and reasoning in their hearts. Why does this man speak that way? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? Immediately, Jesus, aware in his spirit that they were reasoning that way within themselves, said to them, Why are you reasoning about these things in your hearts? Which is easier, to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Get up and pick up your pallet and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, get up, pick up your pallet, and go home. And he got up and immediately picked up the pallet and went out in the sight of everyone, so that they were all amazed and were glorifying God, saying, We have never seen anything like this. And he went out again by the seashore, and all the people were coming to him, and he was teaching them. As he passed by, he saw Levi, the son of Alphaeus, sitting in the tax booth. And he said to him, Follow me. And he got up and followed him. And it happened that he was reclining at the table in his house, and many tax collectors and sinners were dining with Jesus and his disciples. For there were many of them, and they were following him. When the scribes of the Pharisees saw that he was eating with the sinners and tax collectors, they said to his disciples, Why is he eating and drinking with tax collectors and sinners? And hearing this, Jesus said to them, It is not those who are healthy who need a physician, but those who are sick. I did not come to call the righteous, but sinners. John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. And they came and said to him, Why do John's disciples and the disciples of the Pharisees fast, but your disciples do not fast? And Jesus said to them, While the bridegroom is with them, the attendants of the bridegroom cannot fast, can they? So long as they have the bridegroom with them, they cannot fast. But the days will come when the bridegroom is taken away from them, and then they will fast in that day. No one sews a patch of unshrunk cloth on an old garment. Otherwise, the patch pulls away from it, the new from the old, and the worst tear results. No one puts new wine into old wineskins. Otherwise, the wine will burst the skins, and the wine is lost, and the skins as well. But one puts new wine into fresh wineskins. And it happened that he was passing through the grain fields on the Sabbath, and his disciples began to make their way along while picking the heads of grain. The Pharisees were saying to him, Look, why are they doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? And he said to them, Have you never read what David did when he was in need, and he and his companions became hungry? how he entered the house of God in the time of Abiathar the high priest and ate the consecrated bread, which is not lawful for anyone except the priests to eat, and he also gave it to those who were with him? Jesus said to them, The Sabbath was made for man, 
and not man for the Sabbath. So the Son of Man is Lord even of the Sabbath. He entered again into a synagogue, and a man was there whose hand was withered. They were watching him to see if he would heal him on the Sabbath, so that they might accuse him. He said to the man with the withered hand, Get up and come forward. And he said to them, Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? But they kept silent. After looking around at them with anger, grieved at their hardness of heart, he said to the man, Stretch out your hand. And he stretched it out, and his hand was restored. The Pharisees went out and immediately began conspiring with the Herodians against him as to how they might destroy him. Jesus withdrew to the sea with his disciples, and a great multitude from Galilee followed, and also from Judea, and from Jerusalem, and from Edomia, and beyond the Jordan, and the vicinity of Tyre and Sidon. A great number of people heard of all that he was doing and came to him. And he told his disciples that a boat should stand ready for him because of the crowd, so that they would not crowd him, for he had healed many, with the result that all those who had afflictions pressed around him in order to touch him. Whenever the unclean spirits saw him, they would fall down before him and shout, You are the Son of God! And he earnestly warned them not to tell who he was. And he went up on a mountain and summoned those whom he himself wanted, and they came to him. And he appointed twelve, so that they would be with him, and that he could send them out to preach and to have authority to cast out the demons. And he appointed the twelve, Simon, to whom he gave the name Peter, and James the son of Zebedee, and John the brother of James. To them he gave the name Boanerges, which means sons of thunder, and Andrew, and Philip, and Bartholomew, and Matthew, and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Thaddeus, and Simon the zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. And he came home, and the crowd gathered again, to such an extent that they could not even eat a meal. When his own people heard of this, they went out to take custody of him, for they were saying, He has lost his senses. The scribes who came down from Jerusalem were saying, He is possessed by Beelzebul, and he casts out the demons by the ruler of the demons. And he called them to himself and began speaking to them in parables. How can Satan cast out Satan? If a kingdom is divided against itself, that kingdom cannot stand. If a house is divided against itself, that house will not be able to stand. If Satan has risen up against himself and is divided, he cannot stand, but he is finished. But no one can enter the strong man's house and plunder his property unless he first binds the strong man, and then he will plunder his house. Truly, I say to you, all sins shall be forgiven the sons of men, and whatever blasphemies they utter, but whoever 
blasphemes against the Holy Spirit, never has forgiveness, but is guilty of an eternal sin. Because they were saying he has an unclean spirit. Then his mother and his brothers arrived, and standing outside, they sent word to him and called him. A crowd was sitting around him, and they said to him, Behold, your mother and your brothers are outside looking for you. Answering them, he said, Who are my mother and my brothers? Looking about at those who were sitting around him, he said, Behold, my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of God, he is my brother and sister and mother. He began to teach again by the sea, and such a very large crowd gathered to him that he got into a boat in the sea and sat down, and the whole crowd was by the sea on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables, and was saying to them in his teaching, Listen to this. Behold, the sower went out to sow, and as he was sowing, some seed fell beside the road, and the birds came and ate it up. Other seed fell on the rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of soil. And after the sun had risen, it was scorched, and because it had no root, it withered away. Other seed fell among the thorns, and the thorns came up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. Other seeds fell into the good soil, and as they grew up and increased, they yielded a crop, and produced thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. As soon as he was alone, his followers, along with the twelve, began asking him about the parables. And he was saying to them, To you has been given the mystery of the kingdom of God, but those who are outside get everything in parables, so that while seeing, they may see and not perceive, and while hearing, they may hear and not understand. Otherwise, they might return and be forgiven. And he said to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand all the parables? The sower sows the word. Those are the ones who are beside the road where the word is sown. And when they hear, immediately Satan comes and takes away the word which has been sown in them. In a similar way, these are the ones on whom seed was sown on the rocky places, who, when they heard the word, immediately receive it with joy, and they have no firm root in themselves, but are only temporary. Then, when affliction or persecution arises because of the word, immediately they fall away. And others are the ones on whom seed was sown among the thorns. These are the ones who have heard the word, but the worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it becomes unfruitful. And those are the ones on whom seed was sown on the good soil, and they hear the word and accept it and bear fruit, thirty, sixty, and a hundredfold. And he was saying to them, 
A lamp is not brought to be put under a basket, is it? Or under a bed? Is it not brought to be put on the lampstand? For nothing is hidden except to be revealed. Nor has anything been secret, but that it would come to light. If anyone has ears to hear, let him hear. And he was saying to them, Take care what you listen to. By your standard of measure, it will be measured to you, and more will be given you besides. For whoever has to him more shall be given, and whoever does not have, even what he has shall be taken away from him. And he was saying, The kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil. And he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. The soil produces crops by itself. First the blade, then the head, then the mature grain in the head. But when the crop permits, he immediately puts in the sickle, because the harvest has come. And he said, How shall we picture the kingdom of God? Or by what parable shall we present it? It is like a mustard seed, which, when sown upon the soil, though it is smaller than all the seeds that are upon the soil, yet when it is sown, it grows up and becomes larger than all the garden plants and forms large branches, so that the birds of the air can nest under its shade. With many such parables, he was speaking the word to them, so far as they were able to hear it. And he did not speak to them without a parable, but he was explaining everything privately to his own disciples. On that day, when evening came, he said to them, Let us go over to the other side. Leaving the crowd, they took him along with them in the boat, just as he was, and other boats were with him. And there arose a fierce gale of wind, and the waves were breaking over the boat so much that the boat was already filling up. Jesus himself was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and said to him, Teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he got up and rebuked the wind, and said to the sea, Hush, be still. And the wind died down, and it became perfectly calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Do you still have no faith? They became very much afraid, and said to one another, Who then is this, that even the wind and the sea obey him? They came to the other side of the sea, into the country of the Gerizines. When he got out of the boat, Immediately a man from the tombs with an unclean spirit met him, and he had his dwelling among the tombs. And no one was able to bind him any more, even with a chain, because he often was bound with shackles and chains, and the chains had been torn apart by him and the shackles broken in pieces, and no one was strong enough to subdue him. Constantly, night and day, he was screaming among the tombs and in the mountains, and gashing himself with stones. Seeing Jesus from a distance, he ran up and bowed down before him, 
and shouting with a loud voice, he said, What business do we have with each other, Jesus, Son of the Most High God? I implore you by God, do not torment me. For he had been saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And he was asking him, What is your name? And he said to him, My name is Legion, for we are many. He began to implore him earnestly not to send them out of the country. Now there was a large herd of swine feeding nearby on the mountain. The demons implored him, saying, Send us into the swine, so that we may enter them. Jesus gave them permission. And coming out, the unclean spirits entered the swine, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the sea, about two thousand of them, and they were drowned in the sea. Their herdsmen ran away and reported it in the city and in the country, and the people came to see what it was that had happened. They came to Jesus and observed the man, who had been demon-possessed, sitting down, clothed, and in his right mind, the very man who had had the legion. And they became frightened. Those who had seen it described to them how it had happened to the demon-possessed man, and all about the swine. And they began to implore him to leave their region. As he was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed was imploring him that he might accompany him. And he did not let him. But he said to him, Go home to your people and report to them what great things the Lord has done for you and how he had mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in Decapolis what great things Jesus had done for him. And everyone was amazed. When Jesus had crossed over again in the boat to the other side, a large crowd gathered around him, and so he stayed by the seashore. One of the synagogue officials named Jairus came up, and on seeing him fell at his feet and implored him earnestly, saying, My little daughter is at the point of death. Please come and lay your hands on her so that she will get well and live. And he went off with him and a large crowd was following him and pressing in on him. A woman who had had a hemorrhage for twelve years and had endured much at the hands of many physicians and had spent all that she had and was not helped at all, but rather had grown worse, after hearing about Jesus, she came up in the crowd behind him and touched his cloak. For she thought, if I could just touch his garments, I will get well. Immediately the flow of her blood was dried up, and she felt in her body that she was healed of her affliction. Immediately Jesus, perceiving in himself that the power proceeding from him had gone forth, turned around in the crowd and said, Who touched my garments? And the disciples said to him, you see the crowd pressing in on you, and you say, Who touched me? And he looked around to see the woman who had done this. But the woman, fearing and trembling, aware of what had happened to her, came and fell down before him and told him the whole truth. And he said to her, Daughter, 
Your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your affliction. While he was still speaking, they came from the house of the synagogue official, saying, Your daughter has died. Why trouble the teacher any more? But Jesus, overhearing what was being spoken, said to the synagogue official, Do not be afraid any longer. Only believe. And he allowed no one to accompany him except Peter and James and John, the brother of James. They came to the house of the synagogue official, and he saw a commotion, and people loudly weeping and wailing. And entering in, he said to them, Why make a commotion and weep? The child has not died, but is asleep. They began laughing at him, but putting them all out, he took along the child's father and mother and his own companions, and entered the room where the child was. Taking the child by the hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which translated means, Little girl, I say to you, get up. Immediately the girl got up and began to walk, for she was twelve years old. And immediately they were completely astounded. And he gave them strict orders that no one should know about this. And he said that something should be given to her to eat. All right, so I don't know if you felt the same way as I did, but it seems like the book of Mark is a fast track through everything we read in Matthew, right? Including some things that were not in Matthew. So it's very interesting how Mark designed his gospel. But let's do a little bit of background on Mark first before we continue. So just as how Matthew wrote his gospel appealing to the Jews to show the Jews through the scripture that he was the Messiah that they were looking for, Mark is a little bit more general in his writing. His was more for Gentile readers the people who were not Jewish, in order for them to understand who the Christ was. So he doesn't show the same level of attention on things, and it really begs the question, how does Mark know all of this stuff if he was never a disciple of his? Because we don't meet John Mark until the book of Acts. So he comes way later, after the Pentecost. So how does he know all this stuff? Well, it does show in the book of Acts, as well as in 1 Peter, that Mark has a special relationship with Peter. And so it's been inferred and understood throughout history that this is actually all the information that he got from Peter. So really, if you want to boil it down, you can call Mark the Gospel of Peter. So that's why Peter's style is very different from Matthew's, because Matthew saw it from a very comprehensive, detailed fashion, and more so with Luke. But Mark just gets right down to business in a way that you can kind of see Peter's personality stick out a little bit, where he's no nonsense, he just gets straight to the point on things. So it's very interesting how you read these Gospels, and they're all saying very similar things, and yet you see the personality of the writers in each one. It's very interesting. Now, it's widely believed as well that the Gospel of Mark was the first of the four Gospels written between 50 and 60 
AD, more or less. So roughly 20 to 30 years after Christ had already risen from the dead is when this gospel was written. So the theme of Mark's gospel is not only appealing to Gentiles, but also showing that Jesus Christ is the suffering servant. That he didn't come to be served, but to serve. And that's the overarching theme of what he's doing. So as you can see from the very beginning, when we started chapter 1, he briefly talks about John the Baptist and very briefly talks about the baptism and goes straight into the temptation in one paragraph and then jumps straight into meeting Peter and Andrew shortly thereafter and then James and John all within the first page in my Bible. So yeah, like I was saying, fast track. So I really like this paragraph in chapter 1, and that's really the only thing to talk about that is new, is when John had been taken into custody, Jesus came into Galilee. This is in verse 14 and 15. He's preaching the gospel of God, and this is what he says, and this is something we need to keep in mind every single day. The time is fulfilled, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. It's very simple what Jesus is expecting here. And this is the overarching intent behind everything that's going to be written from here on. Understand that the time is now. It's time to repent. It's time to believe in the gospel, the good news of Jesus Christ. And that's why he wrote it. So chapter 1 overall shares this that we've seen before. Chapter 2 is similar in that regard as well. Now what's interesting though is it mentions Levi in verses 13 and 14. Levi the son of Alphaeus. So this was different because who's Levi? We didn't see a Levi before. Levi is another name for Matthew. He also goes by the name Levi. His surname is Matthew but his actual name is Levi. Now, what's interesting is it says that he is the son of Alphaeus, but yet there's another disciple who's called James, the son of Alphaeus. They may be related. I'm not quite sure, but my understanding is that they are. And if you recall, Matthew was a tax collector. He was hated by his own people because of what he was. And yet, this is where we see him go into his house, eat with sinners and tax collectors, and the Pharisees are not understanding that. And then he shows them that if you are well, you're healthy, you don't need a doctor. But it's the sick people that need a doctor, and that's why I'm here. I'm here to help those who are sinners. And they recognize themselves as sinners. That's very important. Because the Bible tells us that we are all sinners, right? All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But the problem with the Pharisees is that while they were also sinners, they didn't see themselves that way. They saw themselves as righteous. So how can you help somebody who is deathly ill and yet does not think that? They have convinced themselves in their own minds that they are completely healthy. How do you help somebody like that if they can't listen to reason? And that's the challenge that Jesus had. The rest of chapter 2 we've seen in the book of Matthew, so we're not going to go into that. 
Then we go into chapter 3, and he makes a very good point that's expanded upon from when Matthew explained it. When he's in there talking to the people about the man with the withered hand, the crippled hand, he says something to him. Is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save a life or to kill? If we recall in Matthew's gospel, he explains to them, if you have a lamb stuck in a hole, are you just going to leave him there or are you going to get him out? So in this way, he also explains it like this. Is, is it okay to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? Which one is okay? They didn't say anything because they knew that there was nothing to say. The problem was, and continues to be with Jesus, that they followed their tradition over the actual law. And here's why. Because in their tradition, it was forbidden to practice medicine on the Sabbath unless the person was on the verge of death. That was not written in the Old Testament law of Moses. They made that up on their own. And that's why Jesus is saying that. Is it lawful to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? It says that I can help somebody if they're on the verge of death. But here's the truth, and what does the New Testament talk about so often? We're already dead in our trespasses. What Jesus had to do was completely lawful, because it's not even, we're way beyond even the verge of death. We are walking dead corpses when we're not saved. They didn't seem to understand that. Why is it wrong to do good on the Sabbath? It's not. That was a tradition and not the actual law. And Jesus was doing that more than anything else. They knew the law, right? But Jesus spent his time explaining the law to them, why it was written in such a way. He was the author of the law. So, of course, he knows the law. And they need to understand it the way that God intended them to understand it, not through the legalism that they practiced. Here's something that we need to understand today. In chapter 3, beginning in verse 11, it says that whenever unclean spirits came to Jesus and they saw him, they fell down before him and shouted, You are the Son of God. That seems like submission, doesn't it? Where's that fear? It seems more like fear because obviously the demons know who Jesus is, but they don't believe in him. Because if you believed in Jesus, you would obey him, right? They were compelled to because he was the Son of God. He is God, and he has power over his creation. But they don't worship him anymore. They have chosen not to follow him. So that really marks a difference for me. And that was something we talked about yesterday in Sunday school. What makes a real Christian? Is it because we go to church? Is it because we believe in Jesus? I mean, James talks about this as well in chapter 2 of his book, that you believe that God is one. Very good. You do well. But even the demons believe and shudder. So just because you claim the name of Jesus doesn't mean you're a Christian. That means there's a, a certain distinction that we may not always understand in church world. Because so often we say, yeah, I believe in Jesus. Okay, very good. But even the demons do. So what separates you 
from the world and from the demons. What makes you different? Well, the difference is that Jesus is your Lord. That is the difference. You worship Jesus as your Lord. Not just as the Son of God, but he is your Lord. That's why Jesus makes it very clear, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, is going to enter the kingdom of heaven, because not everyone has been called. There are many people who come for the benefits, they come for the religion, they come for the relationships, they come for attention, but they don't worship Jesus as Lord. If Jesus is not your Lord, then you are not saved or you are in grave error and you need to repent. So that's the distinction. So we need to be very cognizant of that as we go into church, that most people that sit in the pews are not saved. They don't even understand what it means to be saved because the church is so far gone in that way. And that's a shame. That's why we need to be salt and light. We need to be the sting of healing in our churches as well as to shed light on the truth of the gospel. That's why we're doing this, to increase our exposure and our understanding to what's in God's Word. All right, and then after that, we see that he calls the 12 disciples. Now, if you don't know this, there's one name in here that's a little bit different between the gospels, and that's the name Bartholomew. Bartholomew also goes by the name Nathaniel. So if you're going through the Gospels and you see the name Bartholomew and you see the name Nathaniel, they're the same person. So let's not be confused with that. The rest of chapter 3 is things that we have seen before, so we're not going to go through that. This is where the Pharisees are stating that he casts out demons in the name of Satan, and then he goes through it being the unpardonable sin to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit. So he goes through that again. Then we go into chapter 4, we see the parable of the sower, we see the parable of the lamp, we see the parable of the seed that continues to grow. This one is an interesting one, because this wasn't in Matthew, I don't think, beginning of verse 26. He was saying the kingdom of God is like a man who casts seed upon the soil, and he goes to bed at night and gets up by day, and the seed sprouts and grows. How? He himself does not know. So what Jesus is saying here is that the word of God, when it is sown in the hearts of men, produces fruit, sometimes slowly, but it will always, surely do it, if that is God's will. And how? We don't know, because it's not in our control. We have no control over that. We have been commanded of what to do, yes, but the spiritual aspect is completely in God's timing. It's like when we go and present the gospel to somebody. How you present it is not up to you. Because all God wants from you is for you to be a willing servant. He's the one who saves people. You're just the body. You're just the one going there, putting feet to the gospel. Then we go into chapter 5, and we see this story, which when we read it in Matthew, it said there was two people there. But now we only see one, so that's very strange how it has that. But he meets this man who is heavily demon-possessed. And it's hard to tell how many there are, because when 
Jesus asks his name. He says his name is Legion, for they are many. So it begs the question, what is a legion? Well, the legion is the largest unit of the Roman army. And so that was between 3,000 to 6,000 men in a legion. So when Jesus says that I can bring down 10 legions of angels, that's tens of thousands of angels. So for this group of demons to say that they are legion, that's a lot of demons inhabiting one body. And apparently it gave the man supernatural strength, but he was insane. And then whenever Jesus cast them out, they went into the pigs, they all died, which is a whole different story to go into, why they did that, why the pigs went and killed themselves, or if Jesus was the one that did that. That's a whole different thing we can talk about. But then the man was normal after that, and very interestingly, we don't see this in the book of Matthew, but this man wanted to come with them. He wanted to join the party. But Jesus told him not to. But it does say here what Jesus said. He did not let him, but he wanted him to start sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with the Gentile nation. And so he went to a place called Decapolis and was telling everybody the great things Jesus had done. So even before he died on the cross, he was already sharing the good news with the Gentile nation. Now, Decapolis is a region southeast of the Sea of Galilee, which were about 10 cities or so in that region at the time, and it was strictly a Greek area. It was Greek in organization, it was Greek in culture, and so the Greeks were starting to be introduced to the gospel early on. And then lastly, we have Jairus. We didn't have a name for him in the last gospel, but his name is Jairus, the one whose daughter was sick and died, and Jesus said that she was merely sleeping, and they laughed at him. He took her by the hand and raised her from the dead, and then it says to give her something to eat. This is important, because in case they thought, oh, well, no, she's just a ghost, or she's just a spirit at this point, give her something to eat. She is a physical being. She's really back from the dead. Ghosts cannot eat food. So that's why he says that. And that's why when he returns from the dead, he eats in front of them to show that he is really alive. So there's a reason why he says these things. So yeah, we're going through the book of Mark. It's nowhere near as long as the other Gospels. And it's only 16 chapters. And it, like we were saying, it seems to be the fast track over some of this. But he's going to focus on things that the other Gospels don't. And so when we reach those points, we will definitely stop like we've been doing, and we will review those in more detail. But for today, that's all that I have. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.